an unseasonally timely uh, Mark's Madness. Uh, today we have a special, a special treat for everybody. From called, beyond the grave. Yeah, we, welcome we called, back, David. We called in our Juche experts to perform a necromantic, uh, necromatic spell, uh, bringing back David. Um, we forgive you for being at the IDF hangout. We got questions about that though. <laughs> ZDF, the, I'm, I'm zombie defense force. I'm undead. For um, the IDF, still though. So, um, <laughs> when were you going to tell us you were a Mossad agent? Oh yeah, it's just it's I, I keep I keep that stuff on the back burner, right? I gotta have I gotta have options. At least throw us some of the cash. Come on. So anyway, David's back. Uh, unfortunately, you know we were ready to move on without him. Yeah, it would have been great. Sorry. <laughs> so you guys got to deal with another plot hole device of. <laughs> yeah, this meta narrative. Characters back God. with no explanation. <laughs> I'm 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 the gap in the in the T Rex paddock right now. So you know, um. <laughs> one of these days Nathan's gonna break out of the closet. Yeah. I don't know why we didn't kill Nathan off. Yeah, we should have done that right. <laughs> this is why we pay writers. <laughs> yeah, you wish. Could you imagine if this shit was scripted? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome back to Mark's Madness uh, podcast, part of Chunkalooja Network, and we read books. Um, I am uh, a third of your host and undead, David. I'm Living Prez, Knight of the Living Prez. And, and I'm I'm Shugmani too. I'm just <laughs> just, just Shugmani too. <laughs> Killed the bit, god damn it. That was the point. <laughs> <laughs> we got a little bit of current events. Prez was really excited about their current events, so Yes. So um New York related. They held a ceremony showing that uh, New York City has those garbage trucks now that, like, have an arm that picks the garbage can off the street and just dumps it into the uh, into the truck. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know New York didn't have that. No, they they also don't have curbside garbage cans, so people just throw all of the garbage in bags onto the curb. Um, what, it's very gross. What um, are those garbage trucks going to do without curbside garbage cans to pick up? Well, so normally people would just like throw the bags on, and then you'd have an army of sanitation workers like go building by building and just throw the bags into the back of the truck. Um, so now they're slowly replacing that and they're not saying what exactly is going to happen to all of the like 50,000 different sanitation workers. <laughs> um, but they're like one of the largest unions in the country. So we'll, we'll see. Oh, so it's uh, a union busting effort. Oh yeah. They have like military style uniforms and shit. You can be like a three-star ranked general kind of. Wow. It's really awesome. <laughs> what's not awesome is that they work with the nypd to clear out the homeless encampments so that yeah. that's not cool yeah. but anyway um today they had a ceremony where they were like we have this fancy new truck that definitely wasn't invented in like the 1960s and they were blasting 
uh, Alicia Keys, uh, Empire State of Mind or New York or whatever the fuck that song name is, as the garbage was just being picked up and thrown into the truck. <laughs> Amazing. Um, we so have 60 year old technology now, finally, <laughs> and we just use it like the old stuff. Oh, it's so good. The video <laughs> is probably lurking somewhere on Twitter. I suggest finding it. Nice. Um, nice. And it's probably old news by the time you're listening to this, but the Corsican Liberation Front has announced that it's going to be resuming its activities. Um, like so the we're officially back Corsica? in the 70s. What? Like the island of Corsica? Yeah. That's awesome. like the, that that's the Italian one that like France colonized instead of Italy, right? Or but it, but yeah, it's by well, it's by Sicily and stuff. It's above. It's like it's like literally above Sardinia. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say, isn't that like right next to Gramsci? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. The Corsican language is closer to Italian than it is French. Like, yeah. Corsicans can understand Italian just by listening to it. It's how close it is. Um, yep. And funnily enough, uh, the whole, a big part of Italian fascism, Mussolini really wanted to reclaim Corsica from France. <laughs> wow. Um, and when they did during World War II, Corsica was like, all right. <laughs> uh, so they were the the only part of like continental Europe that did not have a partisan movement. Um, so when France tr- had to reclaim Corsica, they were literally fighting against the Corsicans and the Corsicans were just like, no, we want to stay with Italy actually. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. So that, that so- it's, it's a clusterfuck. Yeah, no shit. Jesus. Uh, when you fuck up so badly, the people want to stay with fascist Italy. <laughs> I know. God, that's bad. After fascist Italy is defeated. Jesus. Uh, um, yeah, so they're, they're going to be resuming. And this was last year. There were major uh, independence like riots in the streets where they targeted French occupation forces. So... As this genocide in Gaza escalates and continues and the U.S. full-throatedly backs it, um, Biden has now, uh, I guess in, in a show to try to be like the good guys and our hands are tied and all their, their bullshit narrative, they've sanctioned four specific Israelis. Uh, but in, at the same time, there's a bill going through the House like banning anyone who's ever been in the PLO from coming to the United States and Biden, much more importantly and much more terrifyingly, has apparently approved military strikes uh, against Iranian targets. And this was after, of course, there was a secret like uh, U.S. call to, to Iran, like, let us strike one of your places so we don't look weak and we'll back off. And Iran was like, fuck no. And uh, apparently Biden is like, OK, cool. Gun it. World War Three. So that's kind of fucking terrifying. Um, and let me let me be clear too. When I say it's terrifying, it's not like just know that it's terrifying. Um, we are not a current events show, and we need to get back into the the, the theory. Um, but the reason we touch on on some of these current events is because it's 
it's important. You have to be conscious of these things as you're out there educating and organizing. And when this happens, you know, all, all the things that, that we, we don't want Trump for, right. You know, what's worse than a genocide? Why, why, why we have world war three anyway, we were kind of scared it was going to start from Ukraine. And, and now it, it looks like it's, it's very much starting from Palestine. Um, but I, I will reiterate too, um, something I I've been trying to, to, to mention, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of audience, right? We kind of get in this mode where there's so many people that bind the electoral process. And it's important not to back off that, um, that Democrats are really the same as Republicans, especially at a time when they're showing it, you know, what's worse than a genocide, why <laughs> they're starting world war three anyway, specifically against Iran, which has been a Republican favorite target, uh, like China and Venezuela, um, whereas Democrats, you know, certainly treat them as official enemies, but they, you know, tend to focus on like Russia and, and stuff like that, you know, Syria, um, Iran now is, is, as a Democrat focus, um, you know, fully bipartisan against them as a target to kind of spark this, uh, you know, it's, it's important just to, to reckon with the reality that while the parties are are basically the same and, and Biden is the same as Trump, we, we still are going to have to, we're going to see materially by the end of this year, Trump is going to win. Let's, let's just be clear. You know, we're not soothsayers. We don't think we can predict the future from our theory. Our theory is about understanding the world around us um, so that we can prepare and take the best revolutionary action. But when something is very, very likely and, and materially obvious, we should prepare for it. And it is materially obvious that, Trump will come into office at the end of this year and that no matter who's in office, of course, the genocide of Palestinians will continue and we're going to escalate and, and, and see, you know, a fight against Iran, but also, you know, the, the leaked experts thinking that, you know, Taiwan would be invaded by 2025 now makes sense with the way Republicans target Chinese people and how obviously are China, not just Chinese people, China as a country and how, you know, and I'm not saying the Democrats don't. Pelosi went for the the very instigative visit to to Taiwan, but you know Republicans focus on China more. Trump in office, all this military stuff escalating, they shoot off and and you know U.S. invades Taiwan under the guise of China invading Taiwan or whatever the fuck. You know, it it's all kind of adding up to the people in the know are preparing for what should be publicly obvious is going to happen because this is just the way things are trending. Brian has Biden was probably not going to win the reelection. Anyway, he mostly rode in on a wave of the George Floyd protest being co-opted towards voting for Democrats. Not only is that not happening again, but he has completely lost huge chunks of his base in swing States, especially, um, you know, the, the Arab population in Michigan. Uh, so Trump's coming in and whenever presidents switch parties, there's a big right, you know, it's Republicans trying to prove that, yeah, all these lefty presidents that we said is so lefty, you know, we, we want to secede from, from the United States, even though Biden is out on the border, like literally whipping Haitians on horseback and continuing all our, all our concentration camps and, and, you know, finishing the border wall, but he's super going to ruin everything by letting the immigrants in. Cause he kind of pushed back a little bit on this heinous barbed wire killing machine that we're throwing in the Rio Grande. Right. Um, so now we have to see like that, those fucking people have to prove how Biden's too far left and, and all society is going to collapse if we don't do something for far more right wing. Um, and they've been chomping at the bit to roll the shit out. And then Democrats get in office and 
given, you know, third way Democrats have always been in power in my lifetime. So so maybe there's a bias here. But Democrats come in power then and they go, oh, well, we got to prove to Republicans that that we're moderates and we're willing to work together and we're going to do the same policies. And it's really just these guys are ideologically the fucking same. And that's just covered to try to keep a left wing base under them. Uh, and then Republicans go back in. They have to prove they're farther right than that. And these these the not the little policies that kind of get rolled back, you know, the loan forgiveness, uh, student loan um, pauses and, and shit like that. But the real lasting policies, you know, the the expansion of the prison state, the concentration camps on the border, the border wall um, and the escalations against official enemies and the, the austerity cuts to, to social services, those lasting policies, the, the truly bipartisan ones that are against us, that are against everyone, those take big jumps in new presidencies when a party switches. And so we're going to see a large uptick in that during an escalation of a world war. Things are going to get very, very, very shitty around here. Um, and I don't mean that in a nihilistic or a downer way. I mean that in we basically have a year to prepare for the fundamental differences while still trying to educate people on how these parties are fundamentally the same and while still acting on the overwhelming reality of these parties being exactly the same and how we're already organizing and already facing conditions. And we just, we really, we really need to understand that, you know, we need to understand that there's this fucking project 2025 shit going out by the Heritage Foundation to like, you know, fully QAnon, all civil um, workers, all civil government workers, and basically, you know, try to really, really um, rip out what is left of uh, the, what they call big government, any part of the government that actually services the, the population rather than the, you know, violent police state and military. Um, so just, I don't know how else better to, to say it than we can't get so caught in how the parties are the same as they're showing, even as they're showing their ass to forget that things are going to be fundamentally different in a way we have to prepare for next year because Trump is going to win. Well, and even, even if he doesn't, Obama. are you suggesting that we vote for Trump? Vote for Biden? No, I'm not suggesting any of that. This is not this is not an advocation for electoralism well, even or then, Democrats. I I still very much am against. Even that. You, easily, I was just going to say you actually missed the the thing oh. last week where he said that sometimes we do actually have to play electoralism. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> No, but even then, you can easily dismiss that talking point when you address that the fucking bill that Obama and Biden put through for national health care, the Affordable Health Care Act, was written by the Heritage Foundation. Yeah, yeah, that was that you was know, like, that was a. They're gonna bill. do the same exact bullshit. They're yeah. just gonna do it uh, quietly under Biden, very openly under Trump. But those are your choices. Yeah, no, I I understand. I'm just saying that it's not just a switch to Republicans. It's it's any switch of party in the presidency is when you see these big rightward jumps, these big heritage foundation beloved. Oh, I mean, I'm addressing specifically CPUSA people who are like, whoa, combating Project 2025. You know, you got to think about who's listening to this, and people don't want to address that Biden's doing a genocide. He's not any better than Trump. Yeah, no, and we and we still fully stick by that in that stance. We just we just have to understand materially that that while that is true, we are still dealing with the world around us. And while they're only a nudge different, that nudge difference 
matters and it doesn't matter which party is going into office with that nudge difference. It matters that that nudge difference is going to be leveraged anytime that party switches um, presidents to make a bunch of permanent policies that that have us for the worse. You know, it's it's Clinton destroying the welfare state as we know it. It's it's Obama instigating Romney care um, when the Democrats had had a big push for universal health care while doing the bank bailouts and and upping deportations. You know, it's Trump's border wall and and his slashes of, of social services. It's all of these fucking things. And, and these big jumps happen when parties switch presidencies, no matter which party it is. And we just have to be aware of that in a way that we can materially apply to any organizing or educating. Um, we can't deny these differences. We just have to show people how most of the differences they think is, is bullshit. You know, it's kind of like the, the, the critical support with an official enemy. You don't go around telling, you know, some liberal that thinks Russia is the root of all evil, like, well, I don't like Putin either because it's just going to reinforce their shit. But that doesn't mean you should walk away from that conversation thinking Putin is our hero. You know, we, we have to understand those those intricate differences and where they apply and not get too caught in way. And that that's actually something that a lot of these Gramsci discussions lately have has really, you know, I, th- I think laid out well that I hope this is going to be easy for the audience to understand when I say it. Well, you did talk a lot, so I don't know. It might have gotten lost. <laughs> <laughs> I did talk a lot. Um, speaking of me talking, are we ready to get into the reading or do we need to touch on anything else? No, I think we're ready. I think we touched on a lot for okay. not being a current events show. For not being current events show. Okay, it's time for my bloviating ass to read then. Um, we are on slide 157 at various points in these notes. Um, it's the, the second paragraph down on the right. So at various points in these notes, it is stated that the philosophy of praxis is far more widely diffused than is generally conceded. The assertion is correct if what is meant that historical economism, uh, as Professor Loria now calls his more or less incoherent theories, uh, is widely diffused. And that consequently, the cultural environment has completely changed from the time in which the philosophy of praxis began its struggles. One might say in Croatian terminology um, that the greatest heresy which has grown in the womb of the religion of freedom has itself too, like Orthodox religion, degenerated and has become disseminated as superstition. In other words, has combined with laissez-faire liberalism and produced economism. However, it remains to be seen whether in contrast to orthodox religion, which has by now quite shriveled up, this heretical superstition has not in fact always maintained a ferment which will cause it to be reborn as a higher form of religion. In other words, if the dross of superstitions is not in fact easily got rid of. A few characteristics of historical economism. One, in the search for historical connections, it makes no distinction between what is relatively permanent and what is a passing fluctuation. And by an economic fact, it means the self-interest of an individual or small group in an immediate and, quote unquote, and I feel really gross even saying this, 
dirty Jewish sense. Um, I give you permission to say it, David. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I would have just not said it if it was a slur, but it's still fucking. No, well, he like means it as like yeah. the people who are saying like these people run the banks. Yeah, yeah. Like, I as mean, a conspiracy, because this was like the time of Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In other words. It does not take economic class formations into account with all their inherent relations, but assumes motives of mean and usurious self-interest, especially when it takes it in forms which the law defines as criminal. Two, the doctrine according to which economic development is reduced to the course of technical change in the instruments of work. Professor Loria has produced a splendid demonstration of this doctrine and application. In his article on the social influence of the aeroplane, published in Resenga Contemporanea in 1912, um, three, the doctrine according to which economic historical development are made to depend directly on changes in some important element of production, the discovery of a new raw material or fuel, etc., which necessitate the application of new methods in the construction and design of machines. In recent times, there has been an entire literature on the subject of petroleum. Antonio Labiosa's article of Nuova Antologia in 16... Okay, I'm going to be the lib right now. Yeah. <laughs> that guy's name sounds like a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> Lemgaria Leviosa or whatever that one is. <laughs> I mean, Damn it, they're you? using Latin and then Italian is... Yeah, <laughs> is Harry Potter speaking real, real stuff? Not gobbledygook. I mean, I think they're just she's making up fake shit from Latin sounding stuff. I, I thought, yeah, she was... never read Harry Potter. Oh yeah, and I've never read it. So, sound Latin-y, so that makes sense. <laughs> it's funny too. I would, I would think uh, uh, up until the whole um, anti-trans push, uh, uh, J.K. Rowling. I don't know. She she's always come off as one of those like Sam Harris type, like I'm better than religion um, reactionary liberals. And uh, I still think I still can't get over the fact that she named her Jewish banking money she- like shekels. Yeah, that was you know like if you're like trying to well, say it's not a Jewish stereotype, like well and. And on top of that, you know, she if she uses Latin or Latin sounding stuff to say like Latin is the the magic language that just I don't know that that feels like it's reinforcing some like Knights Templar guard the the well, grail. That's like from, a stere- I'll give you know. that to her. That's like a stereotype that I anytime just, like, you use some like old magic-y sounding thing, you use Latin because mm-hmm. it's old and spooky. Like if you're the Pope's exorcist and all of that shit. They're using light. Yeah, they're always using Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, also, you, like the, you're the, a Catholic. You've I am a Catholic. Cows. And they make us you they make us that. on the they have all the masses were in Latin until like the sixties and even like Advent and Lent. Um they like they'll they'll do a bunch of extra stuff in Latin instead of English. You guys still doing <laughs> communion in Latin? Not no the no the the communion prayer is okay. all in, in English, okay. but our but our Catholics are still doing that shit in Latin. Oh so. uh, <laughs> yeah, oh there is a Latin like all Latin mass that some people go like ooh that's traditional well, or whatever in St Louis. The last Catholic church I went to was the one Father Marquette founded in Marquette. So <laughs> kind of like yeah, we take it really serious. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, no, there's there's definitely the 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 speak Latin. You know, no, but that's straight up a spell. That is straight up just a ritual going on, and <laughs> nobody wants to acknowledge it. But all right, Antonio Laviosa. Uh, article in Nuova Antologia in 16 May 1929 can be read as a typical example. The discovery of new fuels and new forms of energy, just as of one of new raw materials to be transformed, is certainly of great importance since it can alter the position of individual states, but it does not determine historical movement. Weirdly prophetic that... Uh, um, he's talking about petroleum with that because of, of how oil kind of drives economics so much now, but it's not it, how oil rich your nation is that did not supersede the old, you know, colonial structure, right? Um, it often happens that people combat historical economism and the belief that they're attacking historical materialism. This is the case, for instance, with an article in the Paris Avenir of 10 October 1930, reproduced in Resegna Settimanale della Stampa Estera, Weekly Review of the Foreign Press. I probably should have just said that. Uh, of 21 October 1930. Uh, I guess that's. Hey, pages. I was impressed. Yeah. 2303. <laughs> pages. Yeah, pages 2303 to 2304. We were saying this last time that this is, this essay just makes us feel inadequate on so many levels. It does. Also, holy shit! How do you have three thousand page book? Probably three thousand. Like, yeah, these two specific pages. Yeah, and They're by the way, broken it's, up. Just did so you know. catch? It's a two thousand, three thousand page whatever thing. That's a weekly review. Jesus Christ! Good for them for being able to write that much every week. Honestly. Like yeah, they're oh, organized yeah. that well. That's like the <laughs> level of organization. Any anybody is, who's trying to pretend to be the vanguard should be at. Yeah, but having time to read all that, Jesus. Uh, which could be quoted as typical. We have been hearing for some time, especially since the war, that it is self-interest which governs nations and drives the world forward. In pure Marxism, uh, or it was the Marxists who invented this thesis to which they give the somewhat doctrinaire title of historical materialism. In pure Marxism, men taken as a mass obey economic necessity and not their own passions. Politics is passion. Patriotism is passion. These two demanding ideas merely act as a facade in history. In reality, the history of peoples throughout the centuries is to be explained by a changing, constantly renewed interplay of material causes. Everything is economics. Many bourgeois philosophers and economists have taken up this refrain. They pretend to be able to explain high internal politics to us by the current price of grain, oil, or rubber. They use all their ingenuity to prove that diplomacy is entirely governed by questions of custom tariffs and cost prices. These explanations enjoy a high esteem. They have a mediocum of scientific appearance and proceed from a sort of superior skepticism, which would like to pass for the last word in elegance. Emotions in foreign policy, feelings in home affairs, enough of that. That stuff is all right for the common people. The great minds, the initiates, know that everything is governed by debits and credits. Not much has changed in the last hundred years. Jesus Christ. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Now, this is an absolute pseudo-truth. It is utterly false that people only allow themselves to be moved by considerations of self-interest. And it is entirely true that they are above all motivated by desire for and often believe an ardent belief in prestige. Anyone who does not understand this does not understand anything. The article entitled The Desire so for Prestige. That's literally Midwest. I just want to say that literally Midwest remarks constantly argues to appeal to people's self-interest that it's just like you're a liberal <laughs> yeah. you're a liberal like yeah. yeah that's a great way to like open the door but mm-hmm. not at all base your entire conversation on what's only good for you no because yeah because then you're going to be motivated to to only fight for certain things or or kick the ladder you know it's it's nonsense. None of us are free till all of us are free, and and you should know that. But th- also, you should care that all of us are free because you're fucking human being. You know, um, it's almost like if you're building a social movement based on solidarity, you actually need to build it on solidarity rather than <laughs> no, no, no. Only your group, only your group. That's all that matters. Only your group. Which You're is crazy. totally different than 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 liberalism, where self interest will drive the market and ergo and make uh, good outcomes because you know everybody's collective self interest is so democratic. Everybody thinks exactly the same. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's all, all everyone's ever. <laughs> Anyone who does not understand this does not understand anything. The article entitled "The Desire for Prestige" goes on to cite the examples of German and Italian politics, which it claims are governed by considerations of prestige and not dictated by material interest. In short, it includes most of the more banal polemics, gibes, oh, polemical gibes. I don't know what a gibe is. Um, that are directed against the philosophy of praxis. But the real target of the polemic is crude economism of Loria's kind. However, the author is not very strong in argument in other respects either. He does not understand that passions may be simply a synonym for economic interests, and that it is difficult to maintain that political activity is a permanent state of raw emotion and of spasm. Indeed, he himself presents French politics as systematic and coherent rationality, i.e. purged of all elements of passion, etc. In its most widespread form as economic and economistic superstition, the philosophy of praxis loses a great part of its capacity for cultural expansion among the top layer of intellectuals. However, or however much it may gain among the popular masses and the second reign intellectuals who do not intend to overtax their brains, but still wish to appear to know everything, etc., there's a low blow. Jeez. <laughs> Thanks, Gramsci. Oh. Uh, as Engels wrote, many wish to appear. Oh, as Engels wrote, many people find it convenient, very convenient to think that they can have the whole of history and all political and philosophical wisdom in their pockets at little cost and no trouble. Concentrated into a few short formulas. They forget End of history. With what? End of history. End of history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They forgot that the thesis which asserts that men become conscious of fundamental conflicts on the terrain of ideologies is not psychological or moralistic in character, but structural and epistemological, and they form the habit of considering politics and hence history as a continuous marche des dupes, marche des dupes, I don't fucking know French, um, a 
competition in conjuring and sleight of hand. Critical, quote-unquote, activity is reduced in the exposure of swindles to creating scandals and to prying into the pockets of public figures. Marsh de Dupes is literally fool's market. Ah, that that makes sense with the the, the, the dupes. Um, so, yeah, I need to do context better, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it is thus forgotten that since economism, too, is or is presumed to be an objective principle of interpretation, objective scientific, the search for the direct self-interest should apply to all aspects of history. Those who represent the thesis as well as those who represent the antithesis. Furthermore, another proposition of the philosophy of praxis is also forgotten, that popular beliefs and similar ideas are themselves material forces. The search for, and here we go again, dirty Jewish interests has sometimes led to monstrous and comical errors of interpretation, which may have consequently reacted negatively on the prestige of the original body of ideas. It is therefore necessary to combat economism, not only with the theory of historiography, but also especially in the theory of praxis of politics. In this field, the struggle can and must be carried on by the developing concept of hegemony, as has been done in practice in the development of theory of the political party and in the actual history of certain political parties. Uh, parentheses, the struggle against the theory of the so-called permanent revolution, to which was counterposed the concept of revolutionary democratic dictatorship, the extent of the support given to constituent ideologies, etc. And parentheses. A study could be made of how certain political movements were judged during the course of their development, but one could take as a model the Belangist movement from 1886 to 1890. I don't know that one. Um, or the Dreyfus trial or even the coup d'etat of two, 2nd December. Uh, what year was this written? I don't know which, at least 1929. Um, Wait, this essay? Yeah. This essay was in like 1926, 1927, but we don't have an exact year. So what's the coup d'etat of December 2nd? Do we know? Or the Belangus movement? The Belangus movement I'm looking up. That was a French... Uh... Marxist historians viewed the Belangus movement as a proto-fascist right-wing movement. Okay. Okay, so there's a French proto-fascist movement. We've got the Dreyfus trial, and then we've got the coup d'etat of 2nd December. <laughs> All of reference. Um uh, let's see. There was a, the Dreyfus trial was also French. This is a bunch of French stuff. Then, do, you, do should we explain what the Dreyfus trial was? Um, a big anti-Semitic French scandal. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know about it, but I, I know that. Yeah. So um, essentially, there was a, a whole thing about in France. There was a whole scandal, essentially reduced, reducing it to. Uh, 
essentially, why isn't our empire's army as good as the Germans? And the French went, it's the Jews. And it's specifically the single Jew named Dreyfus. Gotcha. So this is, um, this is I'd see, again, I knew it was a, a part of like anti-Semitic history is French, but I didn't know what it was, but it's ringing a lot of like similarities to kind of the, the American, you know, right wing um, fascist, yeah. like the U S military isn't stronger because there's trans people in it type shit. Yeah. You know? So it was, it was like, it's exactly what Gramsci was saying with the, the quote unquote dirty Jew where there was like this, this, and we're going to come back to this idea when we talk about folklore later that these ideas exist already, but they kind of coalesce into a single, like terrible, horrible event where like things that exist that people are kind of just like really horrible about to begin with, then take precedent and explain situations where they really want a really good answer. <laughs> so when it then it becomes like, why is not why can't we win our imperial competition with our biggest rival outside of Britain? And then the Jews become scapegoated. Um, Makes um, sense. That's just you know, yeah. And yeah, and the Dreyfus affair has ramifications all the way into fucking World War One. That's a, no that 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 makes you know fucking <laughs> um. But now it's, it's like how people are calling us. You know, people are calling Osama like Geronimo and shit. Like they just can't get away from. I wouldn't say race xenophobic projects. I mean, they are racist, right? But like, it's not anti-Semitism, racism, all that. Though it's all part of the same reactionary yeah. strain of brain worms. I don't even know. <laughs> and it, it makes sense that he's pointing to France because I was I was thinking about the the time this was written, and I'm not always the best with dates anyway. Um, so I don't know if this would have registered. But the the coup of of second December is just the coup of Louis Bonaparte. Um, that's all I can find on. And that makes perfect sense with everything else being French and, and, and uh, you know, the other two are our third Republic, uh, Louis Bonaparte, that kind of kicked off the second Republic. That was after the, the European spring, 1848. So, well, the, okay. the, the movement was also a response to the Dreyfus affair where it was like, Hey, the military should take control of France. That would, that would mm. solve our Imperial, uh, competition issues <laughs> um, yep. so that that was why it was proto-fascist yep no so that makes sense and that yeah. those are the big characteristics of fascism um we've we've i mean talked about before we even got to gramsci right is is um you know reactionary social politics um the the pro-militarism uh, stealing socialist talking points and and turning them into dog whistles uh, against ethnic minorities historically in Europe that that's of course Jewish people uh, mostly and um, anti-communism centrally. So and also Palancis's whole thing about petty bourgeois ideology mm-hmm. making the backbone. Yep. Yep. Read Palancis. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. 
back to, back to this now we have all the context of this one sentence uh wonka dick is a model i the, love that that was one sentence sorry that was for one sentence for three things <laughs> what could take it's as a model like marxist joke that you have to like know everything about everything so you understand a paragraph yep yep it's, it's almost ex- extra true for <laughs> Gramsci. uh one could take as a model the blangus movement or the Dreyfus trial, or even the coup d'etat of 2nd December, one would analyze the classic work on the subject and consider how much relative importance is given to one hand to immediate economic factors, and on the other hand, to the concrete study of ideologies. Confronted with these events, economism asks this question, who profits directly from the initiative under consideration? Okay, so that that sentence is important. It makes much more sense. Like if you just look back at the fucking proto-fascist movement that, that I guess they were like super religious too and stuff of the land just um, right. If they were proto-fascist in France, um, the, the anti-Semitic Dreyfus trial uh, and the coup alluded Bonaparte goes like who profits directly from this and replies to the line of reasoning, which is simplistic at, as it is fallacious. The ones who profit directly are a certain fraction of the ruling class. Furthermore, so that no mistake shall be made, the choice falls under the faction which manifestly has a progressive function, controlling the totality of economic forces. One can be certain of not going wrong, since necessarily, if the movement under consideration comes to power, sooner or later, the progressive faction of the ruling group will end up controlling the new government, and by making it its instrument for turning the state apparatus to its own benefit. The sort of infallibility, therefore, comes very cheap. It not only has no theoretical significance, it only ha- has only a minimal political implications or practical efficacy. In general, it produces nothing but moralistic sermons and interminable questions of personality. When a movement of the Belangius type occurs, the analysis realistically should be developed along the following lines. One, social content of the mass following of the movement. Two, what function did this mass have in the balance of forces, which is a process of transformation as the new movement demonstrates by its very coming to existence? Three, what is the political and social significance of those demands presented by the movement's leaders, which find a general assent? To what effective needs do they correspond? Examine it for examination of the conformity and the means to a proposed end. Five, in the last analysis and in, in formulated in political, not moralistic terms, is the hypothesis considered that such a movement will necessarily be perverted and s- serve quite different ends from those which the mass of its followers expect. But economism puts forward this hypothesis in advance when no concrete fact, that is to say none which appears as such the evidence of common sense, rather than as a result of some esoteric scientific analysis, yet exists to support it. It thus appears as a moralistic accusation of duplicity and bad, in, and bad faith, or in the case of the movement's followers, of naivety and stupidity. Thus, the political struggle is reduced to a series of personal affairs between, on the one hand, those with the genie in the lamp who know everything, and on the other hand, those who are fooled by their own leader but are so incurably thick that they refuse to believe it. Moreover, until such movements have gained power, it is always possible to think that they are going to fail. 
and some indeed have failed. Belangism itself, which failed as such and then was definitively crushed with the rise of the Dreyfusard movement, the movement of Georges Valois and the General Gadja. General Gadja. Uh, research must therefore be directed towards identifying their strengths and weaknesses. The economist hypothesis asserts that the existence of an immediate element of strength, i.e. the availability of a certain direct or indirect financial backing, a large newspaper supporting the movement is also a form of indirect financial backing, and is satisfied with that, but it is not enough. In this case, too, an analysis of the balance of forces at all levels can only culminate in a sphere of hegemony and ethico-political relations. So, oh. I was going to say this sound well, like speaking back to the factory is like you need to establish a actual place of power and, uh, I mean, land. Ultimately, <laughs> like you need to be able to express a lot more than just be loud. You know, sure, sure, and and also, I mean, let's not act like people in power are not going to you know, get rich or get richer or stay rich on their own ends or in corrupt ways. But this does say like, you know, if you do everything is corruption and, and the followers are just a bunch of fools that, that don't understand their, their leaders, real intentions all the time and, and always get, get pulled by it. Right. Then it's just, you know, a few bad apples to, to weed out and, and you're not actually like addressing the system, even though you feel like you are. So that's, that's a great, way to kind of tear down that economism right is you don't take away those individual interests and then magically everything's gone like it's a whole fucking system i would also say that uh with analyses on trump we just we've had some decent analyses on trump in the last few years but especially with trump's rise um we had these kind of economistic descriptions of why Trump rose that the disaffected white working class that are just so working class. He tricked people into voting for him with his, his uh, personality and all of this kind of crap. Yeah. Like he, Um, he put forth faux anti war talking points, but like anyone with their head, not fully shoved in their ass, would know yeah. that 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 was bullshit and it's not like all his followers just had their head shoved in their ass. Yeah. You know, but like the, the way to examine why Trump rose and why he wasn't able to seize power <laughs> for a second term and why he's able to still stick around again for a second term, probably, um, requires this kind of complex analysis and these five points that he laid out beyond the people are the, the Democrats are shit and he's shit. So everyone's just disaffected and doesn't really care. And and both parties are just imperialist. Um, So it's, it's uh, I guess that's the most modern case that this can be applied to in the U S context. So that's your homework. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go on cause it's short enough. I think 
we can do it. That that's fine. But just remember, um, maybe the, those um, those five questions. You know, the social content of the mass following, everything that we just read in that last paragraph. So, write it down. Write take it down. Notes. Take really, notes. You should take notes. You should. And, and it's on a podcast. You can rewind a little. Take those notes. Take notes. I made this wonderful PDF for all of you, so you can just go to the reference and highlight it. And highlight it. Highlighted. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, I, I screamed it a bunch while we've been reading. But. It's the end. Oh, oh, yeah, but the five points are the the end of the left half and the beginning of the right half on slide one fifty nine. So highlight that. Officially, page two sixteen in the book. To be connected to the notes on situations and relations of force. That is that done for us, or Prez. What? At the beginning, it says to be connected to the notes on situations and relations of force. Oh, that's like a personal note to himself that he wants to connect that to something else that he's writing in his paper notebook. I felt like we were supposed to prison. You know? No. Okay. You don't have your notes out, Shimon. He just talked about taking notes. Come on. Well, that's why I was like, wait, what? The uh, complete Italian copy of his prison notebooks no because this this is uh selected political notes all right so at a certain <laughs> point in the historical lives social groups became become detached from their traditional parties in other words the traditional parties in that particular organizational form with the particular men who constitute represent and lead them are no longer recognized by their class or faction of a class, in parentheses. As its expression, when such crisis occurs, the immediate situation becomes delicate and dangerous because the field is open for violent solutions for the activities of unknown forces represented by charismatic men of destiny. These situations of conflict between represented and representative, or representatives, rever... Oh, reverberate. I don't know why I thought that word was harder than it was. But from the terrain of the parties, the party organize. Oh, wait, parentheses. The party organizations, properly speaking, the parliamentary electoral field, newspaper organization, and parentheses, throughout the state organism reinforced the relative power of the bureaucracy, parentheses, civil and military, and parentheses, of high finance, of the church, and generally of all bodies relatively independent of the fluctuations of public opinion. How are they created in the first place? In every country, the process is different, although the content is the same. And the content is the crisis of the ruling class's hegemony, which occurs either because the ruling class has failed in some major political undertaking for which it has requested or forcibly extracted the consent of the broad masses or manufactured. Dun, dun, dun. No, sorry. <laughs> Being dumb. Parentheses war, for example, and parentheses, or because huge masses, parentheses, especially of peasants and petty bourgeois intellectuals, and parentheses, have passed suddenly from state of political passivity to a certain activity and put forward demands which, taken together, albeit not organically formulated, add up to a revolution. A crisis of authority is spoken of. This is precisely the crisis of hegemony, or crisis of the state as a whole. 
The crisis creates situations which are dangerous in the short run, since the various strata of the population are not all capable of orienting themselves equally, swiftly, or of reorganizing with the same rhythm. The traditional ruling class, which is numerous trained cadres, changes men and programs, and with greater speed than is achieved by the subordinate classes, reabsorbs the control that was slipping from its grasp. Perhaps it may take, make sacrifices and expose itself on uncertain future by demagogic promises, but it retains power, reinforces it for the time being, and uses it to crush its adversary and disperse his leading cadres who cannot be very numerous or highly trained. The passage of the troops of many different parties under the banner of a single party, which better represents and resumes the need of the entire class, is an organic and normal phenomenon. Even if its rhythm is very swift, indeed almost like lightning in comparison with periods of calm, it represents the fusion of the entire social class under a single leadership, which alone held to be capable of solving an overriding problem of its existence and of fending off a mortal danger. When the crisis does not find this organic solution, but that of the charismatic leader, it means that a static equilibrium exists parentheses whose factors may factors may be disparate but in which the decisive one is the immaturity of the progressive forces and parentheses it means that no group neither the conservative nor the progressive has the strength for victory and that even the conservative group needs a master parentheses see the 18th remare of louis bonaparte and parentheses is that a shut up and let the book read moment because we like did the whole we did. We did think yeah. it like go. Oh, second December coup, and then figure out it was Louis Bonaparte, and and Mayor <laughs> is is <laughs> kind of a uh, embarrassing uh, for us. <laughs> this order of phenomena is connected to one of the most important questions concerning the political party, namely the party's capacity to react against force of habit, against the tendency to become mummified and anachronistic. Yeah, that's the right way. Parties come into existence and constitute themselves as organizations in order to influence the situation at moments which are historically vital for their class, but they are not always capable of adapting themselves to new tasks and new epics, nor of evolving pari passu with the overall relation of force, parentheses, and hence the relative position of their class, and parentheses, in the country in question or in the international field. In analyzing the development of parties, it is necessary to distinguish their social group, their mass membership, their bureaucracy, and general staff. The bureaucracy is the most dangerously hindbound and conservative force if it ends up being ends up by constituting a compact body which stands on its own and feels itself independent of the mass of the members. The party ends up ends up by becoming an anachronistic and at moments a of acute crisis, it is voided of its social content and left as though suspended in midair. All right. One can see what has happened to a number of German parties as a result of the expansion of Hitlerism. French parties are a rich field for which research, they are all mummified and anachronistic, 
historical political documents of the various phases of past French history, whose outdated terminology they continue to repeat, their crisis could become even more catastrophic than that of the German parties. One point, okay, nobody has anything to say. One point which should be added to the note on economism as an example of the so-called intransigence theories is the rigid aversion on principle to what are termed compromises and the derivative of this, which can be termed fears of dangers. It is clear that this aversion on principle of compromise is closely linked to economism, for the conception upon which the aversion is based can only be the iron conviction that there exists objective laws of historical development similar in kind to natural laws, together with a belief in a predetermined teleology like that of a religion. Since favorable conditions are inevitably going to appear, and since these, in a rather mysterious way, will bring about palingenetic events, it is evident that any deliberate initiative tending to predispose and plan these conditions is not only useless, but even harmful. Side by side with these fatalistic beliefs, however, there exists the tendency thereafter to rely blindly and indiscriminately on the regulatory properties of armed conflict. Yet this too is not entirely without its logic and its consistency since it goes with a belief that the reinvention of will is useful for destruction but not for reconstruction already underway in the very moment of destruction um i i didn't unmute in time because uh, i was clicking the wrong thing and then i just let you finish a sentence but the palingenetic um that's important in context we're talking about Italian fascism, which was like, you know, let's bring back the ancient Roman Empire. And that is very literally um, either Latin or Greek for rebirth, um, which, of course, is very closely tied to all sorts of of fascist movements. You know, I mean, people try to find the fascist parallel. So we've heard a million times, uh, like, make America great again. And like, well, what does great again mean? And, you know, stuff like that. But there there's a lot of of you know, um, I can't Could one of you finish this out though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Fine. I, I can do that. But, uh, there's a lot of like affectation, I guess would be the word, um, towards rebirth across, you know, fascist movements, especially fascist movements in, in Europe, you know, um, pretty sure they Nazi Germany and, and Italy, both essentially under different ideas, wanted to, to reestablish one version of, of something called the Holy Roman empire. So, yeah, there's some uh, some more modern theories that essentially say that you can't have uh, real fascism without some kind of palagenetic uh, belief system undergirding the whole thing. So it's it's really core to the whole whole fascist project. So yeah. I mean, there in in every form of fascism, there's some kind of like appeal to rebirth, and 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 that that is funneled through a, a very strong nationalism.
Um, anyway, continuing on. Destruction is conceived of mechanically, not as a destruction reconstruction in such modes of thinking. No account is taken of the time factor, nor the last analysis even of economics. For there's no understanding of the fact that mass ideological factors always lag behind mass economic phenomena, and that therefore at certain moments, the automatic thrust due to the economic factor is slowed down, obstructed, or even momentarily broken by traditional ideological elements. Hence, that there must be a conscious, planned struggle to ensure that the exigencies of the economic position of the masses... Sorry, dog. Um, ...are understood. An appropriate political initiative is always necessary to liberate the economic thrust from the dead weight of traditional policies, i.e. change the political direction of certain forces, which have to be absorbed if a new homogeneous political economic historical block without internal contradictions is to be successfully formed. And since two similar forces can only be welded into a new organism either through a series of compromises or by force of arms either by binding them to each other's allies or by forcibly subordinating one to the other the question is whether one has the necessary force and whether it is productive to use it peasants and workers yeah yeah um if the union of two forces is necessary in order to defeat a third a recourse to arms and coercion even supposing that these are available, can be nothing more than a methodolo methodological hypothesis. The only concrete possibility is compromise. Force can be employed against enemies, but not against a part of one's own side, which one wishes rapidly to assimilate, and whose goodwill and enthusiasm one needs. Selected Prison Notebooks, page 210 to 211, uh, and 167 to 168. And that wraps up part six, Hegemony, Relations, Force, Historical Block. And next time we will start the art of science and politics. And you can get your political science degree and learn why poli-sci <laughs> is dumb. Yay. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, this has been Mark's Madness Pod, part of Chunkaluta Network. We read books um, at Mark's Madness Pod or at Chunkaluta Org um, on X or Twitter. Uh, X or Twitter, um, Mark's Madness Pod at gmail.com, or I think it's Chunkaluta Network at gmail.com, but Shigmani uh, too would know. Um, but of course, all these links, as well as links to our, our fundraisers, our um, you know, GoFundMe's for the winter drive, which I believe still needs money for the wheelchair fund. Um, you know, links to uh, other drives we've been we've been doing and 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 working with. Um, you know that that all is on the the link tree. So linktr.ee/slash Chunkaluta Network, um, and then of course you know uh, there's a Patreon, um, and if you get on the Chunkaluta Patreon. Um, you can uh, come to the Chunkaluta Discord. Uh, there is also, of course, a free Mark's Madness Discord. Uh, open to the public. Link to that is in the bio at Twitter uh, at Mark's Madness Pod. Um, and if that's it, unless you know Shigmani Two has some better plugs needed, or you have any plugs, Prez, I think that's all we've got today. I do not. 
Okay, so this has been Mark Manis Pod, part of Chunkaluta Network. We read books. My name's David. I'm Prez. And I guess And uh, Shugmanitu was with us <laughs> today. <laughs> um, we will no, talk I to guess you. Shugmanitu is dead. We're gonna have to do the Shugmanitu Oh God. What are we gonna now. do now? <laughs> Uh, we will talk to you next week bye, bye.